Hello and welcome back. I am Pat Odie Murray. I am setting in for Al Cresta today. Al is dealing with some business for Ave Maria Radio. So it's um, I'm happy to be back. It's fun being at Ave Maria. People here are amazing. Um, so I'm excited about, I'm excited about all my guests. You'll hear me say this a lot. I'm excited. Uh, but my first guest, I read her article on Catholic Exchange and I thought, man, there's lots of stuff in here I didn't know. Some stuff I kind of knew but didn't have right. Um, And it was just, it was wonderful because it's called Lenten Kitchens. And so let me tell you who she is. Uh, Helen Hoffner is an associate professor at Ave, or I'm sorry, at Holy Family University. She's the author of Catholicism Everywhere, From Hail Mary Passes to Cappuccinos, How the Catholic Faith is Infused in Culture. Helen, how are you today? Welcome. Great. I'm very happy to be here. I almost gave you a new job. I almost moved you from Holy Family to Ave Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ave Maria is a wonderful place, but I'm also happy at Holy Family. Yes. Where is Holy Family, Helen? We're in Philadelphia. Oh, okay, great. Well, I want to ask you about this article. Um, if, first of all, can you just give kind of a quick little blurb on what the article is about for our guests before we plow into it? Well, in my book, Catholicism Everywhere, I do links between the Catholic faith and everything you do, from the time you get up and have your coffee in the morning until the time you maybe play board games at home with your children. And this chapter on food, I wanted to kind of give the history and background on some of the foods that we may eat during the Lent time. Uh-huh. So uh, one of the things that you talk about is kind of spring cleaning your kitchen. Um, that's kind of how you start the article out. And I, I just wondered, is this something you experienced growing up? Is this something you do? Or is, was it just something you were interested in? Well, my mother has a great history in kind of researching all kinds of Catholic religious traditions. Uh-huh. So I really engaged in the research with her. And we kind of went looking for the origin, and we like looking at the expressions like Hail Mary passes and such. And the term spring cleaning really came from back in the days when people got very serious about their Lenten foods, and they wanted to get rid of all the sugar and butter and sort of the fattening things in their kitchens. So spring cleaning meant doing a lot of baking before Lent to use all of that up. That's amazing because, you know, as I read this, I thought, this is a great kind of thing for us to get back to. We've lost some of these traditions. This is a, a kind of a great way for us to really understand, you know, what's Fat Tuesday all about or all those kinds of things. Why do we do those kinds of things? I think we just thought, well, we had to eat a lot before Lent started. But there's so much more to it, right? It really is. Like you were really cleansing your kitchens, but in a more spiritual sense, just cleansing your, your mind and your soul. The idea of Shrovetide, the week before Lent begins, was a time to confess your sins. Mm-hmm. So you were preparing in that way and cleaning out your kitchen of the butter and sugar. You were preparing to get ready and have this renewal at Easter. Okay. So it, one of the things, and I will admit this, I have no, I've never heard of these. And so correct me if I'm not saying it correctly. Is it knocks? Yes, you did very well, five stars, because I'm from Pennsylvania, and we have the Amish and the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition, and it's a very popular among that group of people. Now, I've heard of punch keys, and I would never have called them that had I looked at the spelling, but um, in, when I moved to Toledo, there was a Polish community, and so, I, you know, people would bring punch keys in, and I'd never heard of them before until then. So it, it, tell us what foshnaks are, if I'm saying that right. Okay, so foshnaks. It's another way of using up your butter and sugar before Lent starts. It's a square-shaped fried pastry. 
And authentic ones are made with potatoes and never have frosting or sprinkles. Okay. They don't have they don't have holes because some people say they're a donut, but they don't have a hole like a donut does. Okay. And and actually, the name Fastnacht comes from a German word that means fast night or the night before the fast. Oh, well, that makes sense. So, and what I like about this is because so often we think it's just that day before, but if you're trying to use up all that stuff in your in your kitchen. You're probably doing this more than just the day before, right? Usually, yeah. So Strove tries to be at least a week. And there's a lot of traditions where people exchange pretzels and things the the Thursday or so before Ash Wednesday. So it does go a longer preparation time. Okay. And and tell our audience about pretzels, the legend according to pretzels, because I think this is great. And that's fun. So according to tradition, pretzels were the idea of a monk way back in the 12th century where he crossed arms in prayer. So he took, well, he took dough. So if you think about it, pretzels don't have a lot of sugar or those type of things. Pretzels are very basic. Right. He wanted to take a real basic dough. He folded it in the shape of arms praying, mm-hmm. and that was the pretzel. And there are some fun traditions with it. Um, and I'm saying 12th century. Actually, some people bring it back as long as 610 A.D. Okay. There's a tradition in Luxembourg. They call it Pretzel Sunday. <laughs> so on the third Sunday of Lent, a boy gives a pretzel to a girl that he likes. And if the girl is interested in the boy, she invites him to come to her house on Easter and receive some decorated eggs. Oh. And on leap year, and we're in a leap year now, ah. it's reversed, and girls give the pretzels to a boy. Ah. Well, do you know, Helen, why it's the third week of Lent? Is there a connection there that you found? I've been researching that. I haven't found that one yet. Okay. And is this something that's just um, done like in Luxembourg, or are there other cities around that area, other places that do it? It's sort of in that part of the world. You don't see it so much in the United States. Right. Yeah, I've never heard of it. When I read this, I went, oh, my gosh, I've never heard of that pretzel Sunday. I mean, you know, I've heard of Gaudate Sunday, Latari Sunday, but not pretzel Sunday. That gives a liturgic I mean, move and a whole new idea there. <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia, where pretzels is the thing, you know, soft pretzels. Oh, yeah. So we're used to pretzels year-round, but there was a time, especially in Europe, when pretzels were only sold from Ash Wednesday to Easter, and you wouldn't find them the rest of the year. No kidding. So they were really just a Lenten food. It was definitely a very Lenten food. Wow, that's amazing. I did not realize that. I just thought once pretzels were, you know, invented, they were around forever. So you also mentioned in your article hot cross buns. So can you, I know that's also, I think it's a clarinet song, if I'm not mistaken, but can you also tell us kind of the tradition around that? Because I know you see them around at Easter time. Yeah, and that one, there's a legend that in the 12th century, a monk was blessing the bread that he was baking. And he took his knife and made the shape of a cross in the bread. Mm-hmm. And then he wound up making just small buns to give to people with a cross on them. And it was eaten during Lent, especially you were supposed to eat them at 3 o'clock on Good Friday. And because he was making them as a Lenten food, mm-hmm. they were made with water instead of milk. Okay. But later years, they added raisins and currants and dried fruit yeah. and even icing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Is that kind of cheating if you have the the ones that have icing and fruit in them? <laughs> I 
mean, it, may... it does seem like cheating. Yeah, it does. It kind of seems that way to me, especially if you're doing it on Good Friday. It seems like you should just have the basic. That's for sure. So you also talked about um, how that that tradition of um, hot cross buns uh, kind of changed after the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, that is really an, an interesting part. Yeah, well, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that. You know, when Queen Elizabeth I was in, on the throne, she was definitely trying to discourage Catholicism. And she issued a decree, 1592, saying that cross, hot cross buns could only be eaten on Good Friday, Christmas, or as part of a meal after a funeral. Hmm. But she had a little bit of good intention. She said if any English subjects were caught baking them or eating them, they had to give the remaining supply to the poor. <laughs> So at least a little bit of good came out of it. That's right. As when I read that, I thought, were there hot cross bun police, <laughs> you know, walking around there trying to catch people eating hot cross buns out of the season? You know, that's kind of it. Queen Elizabeth, that just cracked me up. Now, the other mm-hmm. thing that we're obviously very familiar with, um, especially on Fridays, is fish in uh, our society today. In fact, today a friend and I were up in Frankenmuth, and we stopped at like five places trying to find fish. Um, so... Why? What's that connection? How did that make its way into our tradition? And, you know, a lot of people say it may be because in the early days, fish was considered a poor man's meal, mm-hmm. and that's how it got to be the food that was associated with fasting. Mm-hmm. And when I was researching, you know, we, we think about fish when we're fasting on Fridays and especially Fridays during Lent, but yet at Christmas we have the Feast of the Seven Fishes. Oh, that's true. And what I was discovering in the research was on Christmas Eve is when families celebrate the Feast of the Seven Fishes. Mm-hmm. Well, back in the days when people were much more serious about the fasting that they should do before Mass, that we should, but a lot of people have lost their seriousness about it. Right. But in those days, people were fasting before Mass. So if you wanted to go to Christmas Eve, midnight Mass, you would not eat for the entire day. Mm-hmm. So people didn't feel well, and they'd get to Mass just not feeling well and having difficulties that way. So leaders decided, well, if fish was a food you eat when you're fasting, you're allowed to have that before you come to Midnight Mass. Oh. So the Feast of Seven Fishes was really having a meal to sustain you when you went to Midnight Mass. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Now, you talk about this idea of how to do, how do we know, like, how do we decide what a fish is, which I found Really interesting, because I kept thinking, well, a fish is a fish. Um, but you mentioned beaver tails. <laughs> what is that about? Yeah. <laughs> there was a time in history they were actually saying what parts of the animal class was classified as fish. You were allowed to eat beaver tail, but not other parts of the animal. Mm-hmm. It would be considered meat. And they even in, especially in New Orleans, the Bishop of New Orleans said you could eat alligator. And he even mentioned like specific Animals like that. What was considered fish and what wasn't? Wow. And is that? It, it, how, I mean, was it? Were they basically just trying to decide because it had scales on it? If it had scales, they considered it a part of the fish family. That's really what it came down to. Okay, so that's how you could eat beaver tail, but not a beaver. 
Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And you also bring McDonald's up in this article, which I think is is really funny because I wasn't even thinking you were going to pull that in as I started reading it. Um, but you talked about, you know, that because fish becomes such a part of our Lenten tradition, uh, McDonald's actually adds this fish fillet sandwich to their menu. Um but they also tried something else that didn't work very well. Can you kind of <laughs> fill us in on that? Yeah, I guess we've all heard of the McDonald's filet of fish sandwich. Mm-hmm. But in 1959, there was a man named Lou Groen who was actually the first person of a McDonald's franchise. And he had it in Munford Heights, Ohio, which they say at the time was a largely Catholic population. So his business really went down on Fridays. Oh, yeah. He, he had to survive. So he came up with a fish sandwich. But Ray Kroc, who was the founder of McDonald's, he didn't like the idea of fish. He actually said fish would be smelly. He said, let's not sell fish. He had something called a hula burger that was grilled pineapple and cheese. He thought that would be much better. So they actually put it to the test on Good Friday of 1962. They served filet of fish sandwiches and Ray Kroc's hula burger. But the filet of fish was more popular. So Ray Kroc gave in and told the franchisee that, he could sell the filet of fish, and he would, Croc would drop the idea of the hula burger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I read the hula burger thing, and I thought, yeah, I could see why that didn't make it. <laughs> think, yeah, so none of us will ever get to try it. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and I, I'm not a real big filet of fish fan at McDonald's, but I still think I would pull that up o- over and above the hula burger. Um, so as you were researching all this stuff, um, Helen, what were the things that, you were most surprised about? Well, I think the hula burger was something because I'd never <laughs> heard of that. Okay. <laughs> and the idea of, I had the same thought as you, like who was policing the hot cross buns? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're on the same page, Helen. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Helen Hoffner and his her article, uh, Lenten Kitchens. Thanks again, Helen. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed it. This is Pat O'Dee Murray setting in for Al Cresta today.